Thank you so much. Ooh, very loud today. Uh, yeah, a great opportunity. I think, I think what I heard when they were sharing is just opportunity. Uh, if you sort of feel like, where can I get involved? Where can I use my spiritual gift? What can I do? Uh, there are opportunities all around us that we can get involved in. Uh, again, they'll be at the back afterwards. Uh, please take a chance. Give them information if you'd like more information or just uh, stay in chat. Um, but yeah, um, I guess good morning. I, I should have started with that. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you have your Bibles, uh, encourage you to open them up to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we've been looking at this letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, and we've really been looking at just with at the letter with a focus on joy, finding joy in our relationship with Jesus. And this morning we come to the passage, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18. And we're just going to jump right in this morning. Uh, if you want to follow along with me, beginning in verse 2 of Philippians chapter, verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, let's read it. Uh, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation." among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father God, again, we just come before you as we open your word. Uh, we pray you would be our teacher, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be among us, uh, just guiding our hearts, guiding our thoughts, guiding even my words, uh, Lord, as they are said, that, um, that they would be powerful and effective uh, in, in our lives. As we seek to live our lives fully for Jesus, Lord, that, that these words would bring new understanding, new encouragement, and just, um, yeah, new transformation uh, as we seek to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. May I fade in the background. May you be lifted high today, Lord. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I oftentimes do, I'm going to begin this morning with a bit of a confession. Uh, quite a few years back, uh, I went to my family doctor just for a routine sort of checkup. And of course, like, come up with, he always says the same thing. I need to lose a little weight. All right. Uh, I told him, of course, you know, you're welcome to take as much as you want. Uh, but then he told me those words everybody, I think, fears to hear. He says, you got to start exercising. Um, so I did, actually. I, I started going to the gym. And, you know, you go, you lift heavy things. And you spend time on machines that don't take you anywhere. Um, then a few months later, I went back to my doctor. Uh, just he wanted to know how I was doing. And I told him, I said, you know, Doc, I, I, I think I have a problem. Um, you see, when I, when I go to the gym and I, I start working out, 
I, I get sweaty, like, and my pulse starts racing, my face gets red, and my breathing is like labored, it's like hard, and I just, I, the longer I do it, I feel weaker and tireder, and I gave him my diagnosis, I said, doc, I, I think I'm allergic to exercise, because, um, I mean, if all those same things happened when I ate a peanut, I would go home with an EpiPen, that's, well, he wasn't convinced nearly as much as I was, and his only response to me was, you got to keep at it. You just, you, you got to keep at it. You, you see, there was no pill I could take. There's no miracle cure. There's no secret to losing weight. It was, it was up to me. It was up to my sweat and my discipline and my effort and, and my doing. If I was going to reach my goal, there was no help <laughs> offered beyond what I could do sort of for myself. It was all up to me. And I tell you that story because as we come to this passage where Paul is talking to the Philippians, he's talking to them about working out. But this time, they're being called to work out their salvation. He says in verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And there are some people, when they hear Paul say that, they think the same thing that I think when I talk to my doctor. They think that working out their salvation is all up to them. Just like losing weight was all up to me. That they, 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 they have to sort of sweat and work and grind out their faith so that, you know, just maybe one day they can get to the point where God will deem them sort of worthy of saving. They think that without their efforts, salvation might not just happen. And there's some churches and even more cults that actually use these very verses to coerce their people into what we'd call a very much works-based righteousness, where you have to tithe enough, you have to serve enough, you have to knock on enough doors and work long enough and hard enough so that maybe one day you might earn your way into heaven. And those kinds of people really like to emphasize the last four words of these verses with that, that whole idea of with fear and trembling. It really feels like those words raise the stakes here. It invokes this idea that we need to live sort of in, in eternal fear about whether or not we're good enough. Where we need to worry all the time if we're doing enough, if we're going to cut the heavenly mustard. And again, it kind of leaves that impression that my salvation is all up to me. And if that were the case, that should scare you. Um, it should create fear and trembling because, I mean, if I can't even lose a few pounds at the gym, how am I going to earn my salvation? But this is a pretty good time to ask ourselves the question, is that really what Paul is trying to say to his readers as they read this letter? Is that really the message he's trying to communicate here? I mean, did Paul, did Paul really just telling us all, finish telling us all about the majesty and the power and the greatness and the humility of Jesus in coming to earth to die for our sins in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11? Did he tell us all of that about Jesus just to turn around and tell us in the very next verse, oh, by the way, that burden of salvation is all up to you? Well, the obvious answer is, of course not. In fact, if you just read one verse further, you would see Paul says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul doesn't mince words here. Our salvation is the work of God within us. It's his work, his will for his pleasure. And again, before we move on, I just want to make that absolutely clear as we look at this passage. When Paul says we need to work out our salvation he is not, and you can underline that, he is not saying we must work for or work to earn our salvation. 
Because the Bible teaches us very clearly, salvation comes only by God's grace and mercy, uh, not by any of our works. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for, for by grace you have been saved by, through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So, if the work of salvation is being done by Jesus in our, in our lives, what does Paul mean when he tells us in these verses to work out our salvation? Well, that's actually a bit of a tough question because I researched and read lots of commentaries this week on this, and they offer more than one possible answer of what Paul means. But what I think Paul is really saying when he's talking about working out our salvation is he's really just telling us Make sure you live out the salvation that we have been offered in Christ to the fullness. Paul's saying, get the most out of your relationship with God and be really, really intentional about that. Maximize it for all that it's worth. Because salvation in Jesus Christ is more than just sort of fire insurance. It's more than just sort of cutting out a coupon that you can redeem one day for the promise that you'll go to heaven when you die. Salvation is much more than a future hope. It's a present reality in our lives. It's something God is working within us even now. Our salvation in Jesus Christ is a here and now promise of hope and peace and joy and comfort and knowledge and wisdom and strength and love and freedom and so much more of those things that we find in Christ Jesus. And Paul is saying to us, make sure you take hold of all that your salvation has to offer you. And that's an important reminder because the sad truth is many Christians never do that. There are some believers who just aren't. They aren't growing. They aren't maturing. They aren't taking their salvation seriously. They get saved. They, they pray the prayer, but they end up in a place where they're just stagnant in their relationship with Jesus. And that, when that happens every day of their lives, there's a day where they're being robbed of their joy in Christ, where they're robbed of peace, where they're robbed of strength and victory. And they usually end up falling prey to sort of both new temptations and old habits in their lives. They have no power over the flesh, no victory over sin. And it's all because they're just not being intentional about living out and making the most of their faith. You know, sometimes I think we're just too casual about our Christianity. And that's why I think Paul says, work it out. Work out your own salvation even. Verse 12, because no one else can work out your salvation for you. You can't just go to church and it happens, you know, on your behalf. It's just like no one can lose weight for me. You've got to do this yourself. Each person has a choice to make on their own. Paul is actually making this very personal for each one of us. Work out your own salvation. Because he doesn't want any one of us to, to waste the gift that we've been given. And that's actually, the idea of a gift is kind of a good analogy of what I'm talking about here. I was actually thinking this week, uh, what if someone gave me $100 million? Um, that's more money than I can probably even imagine having. And it wasn't a loan. It was, you know, I don't have, that I have to pay back one day. It's a gift. Just straight out, here's $100 million. I think two things occurred to me. First, even though it would take some time and effort on my part, I don't think I would complain. 
about how much of a burden it would be to spend that money. Um, you know, I wouldn't complain about how much work I was just given to do. Oh man, this gift is so taking so much of my time. No, it's I, I would I would I don't think it would be that much of a burden. It's still effort, but I think it would be fun. Uh, and the second thing, if I was given a gift like that, I don't think I would just take all that money and just put it under my bed, hoping that you know maybe I'll keep it safe for a rainy day and then just kind of forget about it for the rest of my life until I die. Um, I would want to put that money to work. I'd pay off debts. I would care for family members. I would invest for the future. I'd bless people with gifts. You know, help others with generosity. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. He says, when it comes to salvation in your life, it's a gift that's been given to you. You just have to make an effort to put it into action. You have to take hold of its blessings. You have to put it into practice and make the most of it. Working out your salvation is just ensuring that we're living out this gift of salvation to the fullest. And you can call that work if you want to because it takes effort and it takes intentionality, but it's not earning our salvation. It's enriching our lives as we live by faith. That's really what I think Paul has in mind to tell his readers here. So what does Paul mean when he adds those words with fear and trembling? Well, he's not saying we should be living in a perpetual state of anxiety about all these things. Um, I think he's just saying we need to take this call seriously in our lives. Uh, The word for fear in this verse is the idea of respect. Uh, It's that sense that if we truly understood what Jesus has done for us, the price that he paid and who he is and what he's given to us in this gift of salvation. It's just only right that we live out this way. It would almost be disrespectful to our Savior for us to ignore our salvation. That's the idea of fear. And that idea of the word trembling, um, I think that can serve to remind us that sometimes, maybe even a lot of times, living out our faith, living by faith, it can actually be a scary thing. The life of living out our salvation is not a call to a life of comfort or a life of the status quo. It's a life of taking risks. It's a life of being willing to step out of comfort zones. It's a life of trusting Jesus. Fear and trembling is what it takes to step out and live your life by faith. How do you think Abraham felt as he was about to plunge that knife into the chest of his son Isaac? Or how about Rahab? Do you think she was like super calm and chill when she welcomed the spies of Israel into her home and hid them from their enemies? What about Daniel in the lion's den? Or David when he was facing the giant? Or Moses when he was standing before Pharaoh? Or Peter and John when they stood before the Sanhedrin? Is it really so hard to imagine those heroes of faith that they lived and acted with a measure of fear and trembling as they lived out their faith? Because living by faith means putting something on the line. It might be your comfort. It might be your reputation. It might be your money. It might even be your life. But working out your salvation with fear and trembling is it's taking the risk to make the most of your salvation, to follow God wherever he lives and just live by faith. So how do we go about doing that? How do we live out our faith? How do we get the most out of our relationship with Jesus How do we begin to work out our salvation, as Paul is calling us to do in this passage? Well, again, um, probably probably an answer to the question that's bigger than the passage we have before us, but Paul does give us what I think are a couple of hints in this passage that at least give us a really good start 
of what working out our salvation looks like. Looking at this passage, I want to give you six things Paul tells us we can do to work out salvation in our own lives. And the first, I think, is it's just really another reminder that the true work of salvation is a work that God is doing in our lives. Uh, verse 13 again, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Every aspect of our salvation begins and ends with Christ. Justification, sanctification, glorification, all that stuff. It's all Christ's work within us. What we are powerless to do for ourselves, God does for us through Christ on our behalf. And that means one of our biggest duties as believers is to get out of the way sometimes and let God work. Because while we can't do this work for ourselves, we can make choices in our lives that will either help or hinder everything that God is trying to accomplish in our lives. Actually, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I was giving someone a ride on my bike. You ever do that when you're a kid? You give your friend a, you know, I was the guy pedaling, right? And I was the guy doing all the work and the kid at the back, he was just along for the ride. But if that kid decides he's gonna drag his feet, man, does that make my job a whole lot harder to get him from point A to point B? And you know what? Sometimes when it comes to our spiritual growth, God is trying to take us somewhere. He's trying to do this work in our life, but we drag our feet. Uh, We can refuse to change. We can refuse to examine the state of our inner lives. We can refuse to let go of the past. We can refuse to deal with sin in our lives. We can refuse to make time for God. Refuse to listen to his still small voice. Refuse refuse to spend time in the word and in prayer. We can refuse to let our hearts be softened. We can refuse to do so many things. And that's the equivalent of, the spiritual equivalent of dragging our feet. We need to cooperate and not conflict with God's work in our lives. We need to help and not hinder the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. That's our first lesson. Which leads us to the second thing I want to talk about in our passage, found in verse 12, which says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not so now, not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul speaks here about our obedience as being part of working out our salvation. Obedience in doing the things that Jesus asked his disciples to do and living the way that Jesus calls us to live and even loving the people that Jesus asks us to love. And again, this is important because living in disobedience, not doing those things, is one of those foot-dragging things we just talked about. And notice too that it's not just obedience, but it's all the time obedience. Uh, Paul says in verse 12, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. This is obedience even when no one is watching. And some people struggle with that. You know, as a society, I think right now, we practically are doing everything to be seen. If you can't post a picture of you doing it on Facebook, it might as well not have happened. And for a lot of people, it's about looking good. It's about looking the part. It's about putting on a display. And For some Christians, that kind of thinking leads them to a life of just kind of faking their way through faith, where they can show up on Sunday and they can look good and they sound good and they, you know, they look the part, but the rest of their lives is just a mess. Paul is telling us here 
The way you live is not to be conditional. It's not hot and cold. It's not circumstantial. It's not on again and off again. All the time, obedience is an important part of working out our salvation. We are to live in obedience to Christ. And we're also to be, well, we should have the right attitude. Obedience is essential, but so is our attitude. Paul says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know, another one of those make or break decisions we can make in our lives when it comes to spiritual growth and spiritual health is it's really our choice of attitudes. Our attitudes are one of the key decisions that we can make daily that will either help or hinder the work of God in our lives. And Paul has, you know, just in the previous passage, he's told us our lives should reflect the humility and the selflessness and the servant-heartedness of Jesus. That's, that's the attitude he tells us that we, we should have. Let your lives reflect Jesus. But now he tells us two attitudes that we also absolutely need to avoid. Grumbling and disputing. Or some translations have it complaining. And this should be a warning to us. Again, because there are few things as effective as pu- at putting a person's faith on hold as choosing to live with a negative attitude. It's, just, it's a faith killer. And you know what? Our bad attitudes affect more than ourselves. Here's another danger. Grumbling and complaining are poisons that affect the people around us as well. You get someone with a bad attitude in a room, it very quickly spreads. Um, I like what uh, a woman named Julia Stenton uh, has to say about it when she says, we have no more right to put our bad attitudes into the lives of those around us and rob them of their joy than we have to enter their house and steal their silverware. Um, When Christians grumble and complain, they ultimately will have a negative effect on the entire church. So when we are working out our salvation, we need to do it with humility and sacrifice and even thanksgiving in our lives, not grumbling and complaining. So we need to watch our attitudes. And we also need to watch our holiness as well, uh, which is the next thing that Paul talks about on this list. Saying in verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. If we're going to work out our salvation, Paul tells us we need to commit ourselves to holiness in our lives as well. Uh, We need to get serious about sin in our lives. We dare not try to rationalize sin uh, when it's in our lives. We we dare not ignore sin, thinking that it's not that big of a deal, uh, hoping that it won't do very much harm, or that maybe it'll simply go away on its own. We need to get serious about sin. And you know, in each one of our lives, there are probably things that we can even think of now that probably need to go. Maybe it's your language or some addiction or the way that you treat other people or maybe it's the way you spend your time or waste your time or maybe it's what you watch on TV or you look at on the internet. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's a bad attitude like we just talked about. But whatever it is, If it's sin, it has to go. We have to clean up our lives and deal with sin. Because God wants his people to be a holy people. And again, this is a call not just to holiness, but as Paul says, it's a call to holiness in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. 
Um, I think it was Ray Steadman who translated that as, we're surrounded by crooks and perverts. He's not wrong. And because of that, I think there's many times when we're tempted to think, you know, it'd be so much easier if we could just isolate ourselves uh, from all of those non-Christians and all those bad influences around us. We'll go live in our little bubble. But we can't do that. Because Paul tells us we are to shine like lights in the world. And if we hid ourselves from the world, how could they see our lives shining in the darkness? So instead of isolating ourselves away, away we're called to be witnesses. We're called to be people of integrity, people of purity, people of character, people who are blameless and innocent, even when the world all around us isn't. Because as one preacher said, you can preach a better sermon with your life than you can with your lips. So if we want to work out our salvation, we need to be living lives of holiness, lives that take sin seriously and lives that are a testimony to the lost world about what holiness really looks like. Which is definitely something related to the fifth thing that Paul talks about as he talks about working out our salvation, which is found in verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Here Paul tells us simply that as believers, I think we need to hold fast. We need to be committed to the word of God, the word of life. The word of God, just it should be central to all that we do. The word shapes us as it conforms our minds to Christ. The word sanctifies us as the truth sets us free. The word brings us life as we hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Rick Warren in his book, Perfect Driven Life, says, No other habit can do more to transform your life and make you more like Jesus than daily reflection on the scriptures. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I honestly, I don't have much to add to that except to say to work out our salvation, we need to be committed to the word of God. It's what equips us to do the work that we have before us. And that brings us to the final word of advice Paul has for us this morning as we work out our salvation. And that's simply we need to make sure we're embracing our joy. Um, verse 17 says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul again here talks about the joy that we have in Christ. And yet in this circumstance, it's important to know, Paul tells us this is a joy that should be shared with other believers. This is a joy that reminds us that salvation is a party and everyone can be invited. This is the joy we experience in community with one another when we see each other working out each other's, their, your own salvation. It's exciting to see people growing. It's exciting to see the work of God that he's doing in other people's lives. That's why testimonies are so exciting. You have people standing up and telling their testimony Oh, that's a great moment. And as a pastor, I need to tell you, there's days that that's the truth that keeps me going. As a pastor, I can totally relate to Paul's words in verse 16, where he says, you know, I want to know that I did not run or labor in vain. Because it is seeing people embrace the joy of their salvation that often makes the sacrifices and the struggles of ministry worth it. 
So the Apostle John had in mind when he wrote in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's what the joy of living out our faith does. And if you want to work out your salvation, you need to embrace the joy that you have in Christ as you live out this life for Christ. And that, I think, is how we work out our salvation, how we work out our faith. We depend on God, allowing Him to work in our lives without dragging our feet or hindering His Holy Spirit. We live in obedience every moment. We reject bad attitudes like grumbling and complaining. We live with a holiness that stands out like stars. We hold fast to the Word of God and we rejoice together as we encourage each other to grow in faith. And I know that each of those things, even just by themselves, those, each one of those is a big idea. I could preach a sermon, a separate sermon on each one of those points, and I would still have so much more to say. I couldn't do, you know, even one sermon wouldn't do them justice this morning. But at the same time, these are probably not new things for many of us. They're, they're not things we're hearing for the first time. We've heard them before. But I want us to just, I want us to do more than just hear them again. Because Paul's point here is we need to put them into practice. We need to be actively doing them daily in our lives. That's what we're called to do. And that's why I want to encourage you this morning to work out your own salvation. To just be intentional about it. To make the most of your relationship with Jesus. To get serious about your faith. To just live it out. Because it's already yours. God is already doing this work in your life right now. You just have to take hold of it and make it your own and cooperate with what God is doing. And the time to do that is now. You know, it's been said that every instant of our lives is like a fairy tale where the clock is striking midnight. In other words, things are happening right now. Don't let life pass you by because you are too busy. Don't miss what God is trying to do in your life because you just weren't paying attention. Because for most of us, life is rushing by, like a freight train sometimes. And we're so busy making a living that sometimes we forget to live. We go to work and we pay our bills and we perform our social obligations and we do it all again on Monday. And people live like that week after week, month after month, year after year, sometimes decade after decade. But we're called to more. And the message we've just heard, I hope, is a bit of a wake-up call for, for some of us. It's a reminder that now is the time to live out our faith. Today is the day that we can go to work on our faith and get serious about our salvation. And as a pastor, there's nothing more I could pray for or hope for or wish for that would give me greater joy than knowing that the people I serve have found the freedom and the joy and the life and the hope that comes from the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ. That they are being transformed. That they are not casual or passive in their walk with God. But they are actively working out their salvation and living it to the fullest all of the days of their lives. Let's pray. Lord God, you have provided for us such an amazing gift in Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers to us completely free based on nothing but his grace and his mercy poured out to us because you love us. 
And Lord, we just pray that you would continue that work of salvation in our lives. That we would be transformed. That we would be renewed. That we would be made new creations. That we would be set free. See the fruit of the Spirit. We see joy and peace and hope and love and all of those things increasing in our lives as we take hold of that gift. And Lord, because we don't work for our salvation, but we can live our lives to make the most of it. And that is not a burden. That is a blessing. It's not so much an effort, but it is an enrichment of our lives in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would help us experience the fullness of what you offer to us, that there would be just an intentionality about the way that we are living our lives for you. And that we would live in obedience as you've called us to live. We would live with holiness as you've called us to be holy people. That we would be, our lives would be a witness. That we would be in the word of God daily. That we would know the joy in our own lives and in, as we experience that joy with others. That we would just live our lives cooperating with the work that you are doing in our lives. That we wouldn't drag our feet. But we would do what you desire. Because Lord, it is not our will, but it is your will. We desire to be done. And Lord, if there is any place in our lives right now where we have been dragging our feet, if you've revealed it to any person here, something in our lives that we need to change, a place where we're falling short, I pray that you would reveal it, that we can confess it and repent of it so that we can move in a different direction as we move closer and closer towards you. But again, Lord, we just pray that we would live out this truth as you work out as we work out our salvation, as you do that work within us, uh, we pray that we'd be intentional about doing this each and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.